with another week on the fan pregame Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan for the next 60 minutes. Monday Night Hockey on the network after us. Most NHL teams have flown south to be on some nice white sand beaches. But we've got the only Canadian team in action this week with the Ottawa Senators facing off against the National Predators. Tonight at 7 p.m. and Merrick Monday will join us in five minutes. Yeah, a little showcase for the Senators uh, for the first three <laughs> days of this week. I don't know if they want it based on uh, how their goaltending situation is at least. And we have a Super Bowl matchup. It's set. The Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers in a rematch of Super Bowl 54, uh, which was just four years ago after the Ravens and Lions bounced in the conference championship uh, weekend. Uh, we'll set the stage at 6.30 with Arashman Danny, who was in Maryland to witness more Chiefs magic or resolve or whatever you want to call it at this point. And he's going to the Super Bowl in a week and a bit. So, A couple good assignments for Arash. I guess we were busy. Um, NHL All-Star Week is upon us, though. It's going to be a very fun week here in Toronto and, of course, at Scotiabank Arena. The fun kicks off Thursday with the Players Draft, the Man of the Year celebration, the PWHL Showcase game. We're going to have lots of fun stuff on the show this week and this weekend, uh, so more to come. But let's go back to that Super Bowl matchup because I was devastated about my newly acquired fan base of the Lions. Uh, that mm-hmm. was a very tough one. But we have the Super Bowl matchup that I believe Mike, our producer, had selected as his most favorable one. It will be, as you said, a, a rematch of four years ago, and that one was extremely memorable. Chiefs rally from 20, to, 20 down, 2010 deficit. It was like halfway through the fourth quarter. They win 31-20, three touchdowns in the final six minutes and 13 seconds, first ring for Patrick Mahomes. So that's the history that we're riding on for this Super Bowl. And it's like nothing's changed, right? Because the Chiefs found something that night, and yet they continue, even after they've been counted out, to continue finding something. Mm -hmm. And it's just the latest example of it. Three wins now already in this postseason. They've won on the road now twice this postseason. And it... It's a team that is, like, able to regenerate itself. It's, like, completely different. The way in which they're winning, yes, they still have Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers, and Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid and everyone, but it's like they just find a different way to do it, and now they're doing it a completely different way that they did it, and it's like, okay, this is the team with the answers to all the test questions, and then the final test is coming, and why would we think anything otherwise? It's like they've built this level of mystique where – they already have the advantage just by being the Kansas City Chiefs, mm-hmm. and I think the Baltimore Ravens fell into that trap. Yeah, they don't need that extra narrative of, well, we're the dogs again. We're a team that no one was believing in. But, like, listening to their post-game speeches, they were really holding on to that. You're going to count us out. You're going to bet against us. It's like, well, you are the Chiefs. Like, no, nobody's really counting you out. But People were five-point favorites for the Ravens when they went off. And I if mean, it gave them that extra motivation, if it gave them the extra motivation, they clearly took it and ran with it. They're going to be... Super Bowl dogs as well already coming out. Uh, the line was at two and a half. It's moved since. I wouldn't be surprised if they're favorites by the time it well, comes Well, I, I already got them at mm. dogs. The second I saw the line out, I had to pounce because Matt, Patrick Mahomes as a dog, you know, you don't pass that one up. Um, the Kelsey Swift story is something, right? I'm kind of in on it now. I was a bit oh of a hater. Oh, my I'm God. Of, I'm kind of in. You know why I'm in, though? Why? Why are you so surprised? Because you hated it. But they actually looked, and this is for the first time, because it's been a lot of dancing oh, in a press boy. box and a lot of, like, podcast promotion, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's been a lot of that to this point. <laughs> but seeing them on the field and actually, like, interacting with each other yeah, in a genuine real. moment was like, okay, maybe they do like each other. Okay, and then, I'm kind of for it. And let me give you some more, because Taylor Swift is very big on, like, 
numbers and, and there's a little bit of like okay. a cryptic messaging between like when her album she's releases an analytics and guy yes so she's going to be playing in super uh, in super bowl in tokyo she'll be able to get back in time but people have already tracked the flights okay. this is super bowl 58 when you add five and eight together it equals 13 that's taylor swift's number why is that also, her number it goes, it's a long story you don't have enough time all right 13's her number it's going to be played on the second month and the 11th day you add that together 13. It's her 13th game of the season that she's attending, oh, and it's against the 49ers. Four plus nine equals 13. <laughs> 13 games. I mean, that. I mean, the interaction is one thing. She's been to 13 mm-hmm. games already, or mm-hmm. she will be at 13 mm-hmm. games? This is it. It all lines up. Wow. So, Good thing Travis, you got that Kelsey, dog Super, money. Travis Kelsey Super Bowl MVP. I mean, that just adds to it all right there. Yeah, we have I'm, best I'm, bets I'm later in the that. show. I'm going to get to that a, a little later. We should give some credit to the mm-hmm. 49ers, though, who... Uh, pulled off a miraculous comeback of their own, like let let alone <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Super Bowl Fifty Four a couple years ago, and yeah, Dan Campbell gave them the opportunity to get back there, and we can debate that with Rashman Danny later. But I did see something from Brock Purdy that I don't think I had seen mm-hmm. or was expecting to see, like a little extra layer to his game uh, running the football. I think his scampers were really the difference between them getting back into that game and and getting to the point where they could take over. So I'll give Brock Purdy credit. It's just Mahomes and Purdy in a Super Bowl. And it's like, is that not the difference right there? Mm-hmm. We'll continue to break it down. But that is on paper a mismatch and in practice to me a pretty sizable mismatch. All right, Arashman Danny will join us at 6.30 to talk about this weekend that was and the weekend that will be uh, in about two weeks. It's two weeks, right? Okay. Jeff Merrick joins us now, of course, with the Jeff Merrick Show and 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Happy All-Star Week, Jeff. How's it going? Uh, It's good. The only drag is we get like one game tonight, two games tomorrow, three games on Wednesday, and like that's it. 23 teams are already on their bye week, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm kind of like, you know what it's like. You guys watch all the time. Like you get into like a, a rhythm and I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I kind of don't want to break. <laughs> yeah. Well, so <laughs> is it always like night. this? Because it feels like <laughs> yeah. this time around that yeah. there's really nobody playing. There's one game tonight and we got it. And we're going to pump that yeah. bad boy up. But like there is really like what? Yeah. The Leafs are already it's on all, vacation. It, Everyone's just, they, they've everybody. said bye Toes in the sand right now for like 90% of the league. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. Vancouver, Calgary, everybody. Winnipeg, everyone's gone. Philadelphia, Boston, scroll down the list. They're all, you know, there's just a couple like L.A.'s. Poor Los Angeles. Like, they are. They're all playing. (laughs) Oh, man, they've lost like 14 out of 16. I mean, they had a better effort yesterday against the Blues, but they still lost again. You know, they had an awful effort Friday against the Colorado Avalanche after Mm -hmm. Duke Doughty called people out on the team. Like, it's, I don't know. It's not going anywhere good with the Kings, and they still got one more game before their break. Like, drag them through another game before getting to your bye week. Ouch. I guess if you're the Oilers, like, you don't want the bye week now, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're playing great. You're going to, you know, you're uh, poised to, to tie a record if you, if you beat Vegas and then Anaheim. Like, if there's any team right now that would, you know, love to switch spots with a team that's still playing. It's probably the Edmonton Oilers. Yeah, it's it's definitely teams, though, who maybe don't want the spotlight are the ones in the spotlight, at least to start this week, right? You mentioned the Kings and the Senators, too, right? I mean, the Senators, uh, you know, Jonas Corposalo and all the problems in net, like their record compared, and I'll get to this a bit later, compared to when they fired uh, DJ Smith, like nothing at all has changed. And I think that the question with the Senators, Merrick, is, 
Is this why we saw such reluctance from them? Because they knew that, you know, the concoction wasn't what it needed to be? Because they didn't want to make their bed, right? They were pushing it off. They yeah. go, Can we get through yeah. this without having to do something? Well, they did it. Nothing's changed, which lends you to maybe make the assumption that, hey, it wasn't a coaching thing all along. Correct. So to all of that, bobblehead for me, 100%, yes. So the plan all along was to have Pierre Dorian as a general manager and him to manage all the way through this season and DJ Smith, head coach, Ottawa Senators for the remainder of the season. All those decisions were going to be made on their futures at the end of the year. A couple of things happened here. One, as you'll recall, Michael Andlauer didn't officially get the team until late. Like, we were getting deep into summer here when Ann Lauer finally got the keys to the Chevy. And then it was like, okay, the one thing they didn't want to do was come in and be a tornado in the trailer park and upset everything and change everything. And new GM or coaching surge and interim this and interim that. What they wanted was calm. What they got was the Shane Pinto situation. Mm-hmm. What they got was the Dodonoff investigation. What they got was the Dodonoff penalty. They got the total opposite, and what they got was a bad start. They got the total opposite of what they wanted. You know, Elliot Friedman's grandmother has the great line of all time, which is, you plan, God laughs. And it was so true, so true for the Ottawa Senators this season. And you're right. Like, they resisted so bad firing DJ Smith. Like, after every single Ottawa Senators loss, you go to Twitter and you know what's trending. Like, you know, fire DJs are going to be, you know, it's like, here I am, Casey Kasem, let's play the hits. It's going to be top five. It's going to probably be top three. It's trending in Canada, no matter where you are. Uh, it just became, I mean, Dorian, like once the Donoff situation um, met its fruition and the penalty was a first round pick, like that was the final straw. And they made that decision. They made that move. Um, but they wanted to go forward with DJ Smith. But the problem was, it's never a good thing when, your whole rank has so much negative energy in it and so many bad vibes. Mm. I think after a while, you know, Steve Steos and the owner, Michael Andlauer, kind of looked around and said, you know, are we going to have to, you know, hang black curtains and treat this like a funeral every time we play here? Because that's the vibe. Like, that's the, that's, that's the vibe in Ottawa. And you never want that. Like, Gord Selleck always has a great line. If you're going to suck, suck on the road. Don't suck at home. <laughs> And the problem was, you know, Ottawa, Ottawa was both, you know, it's the Gary Green line. Uh, We couldn't win at home. We couldn't win on the road. My failure as a coach was I couldn't find anywhere else for us to play. And that's kind of what happened to the Ottawa Senators. But this is a long-winded way, Justin, of saying you're exactly right. The plan never was to fire DJ Smith, but it got to a point where it was almost, you know, put the patient out of his or her misery and let's just get this over with. Do you get a sense that the locker room is feeling any of that negativity or that, you know, stop and start momentum that you've been talking about from the outside looking in? Uh, Because we have now seen over the last couple of weeks, a lot of really heated and candid discussions from players in the media. And I wonder if we're just a couple of these NHL all-star highlight games away from hearing that in in, uh, Ottawa. You know what, Ailish? Brady Kachuk uh, is probably the worst poker player in the world. (laughs) You know exactly what he's feeling and exactly what he's thinking at every single moment. And it seems more so than not, there is that breaking moment, that snap moment in every game. And you can feel like if you're just watching the game, you can feel it. And Brady Kachuk is always an articulation of that 
or a mirror to how everybody is feeling. And there becomes a moment in every game where he snaps and he's just had it. And that is, I think that's the frustration that you're talking about. Like, you know, these are all pro athletes. These are people that have grown up in, um, in, in a hockey environment uh, their entire lives. Like, I'll, I'll tell you what, I've been, you know, I, I started, you know, working in, in sports media in 1994. And I can tell you, I've only learned one thing. I've only learned one thing in my, like, that I can tell you with 100% certainty. <laughs> Going back to 94, I have learned one thing, and here it is. You cannot lie to players. Mm. Players know. Players know who belongs. Players know what the team is thinking. Players know the vibe. Players know when something's up. Players know when something's calm. Nobody knows better than the players. And no matter what management or your coach or fans say to you, players know the truth. You cannot lie to players. They know. And I think, Ailish, to your point, all those players on the Ottawa Senators know exactly what the score is. And I think that, you know, we saw that Steve Steos press conference last Friday, GM uh, of the Ottawa Senators, where he's talking about, you know, still trying to, you know, to, to, figure, to figure out the core. You know, all along we've been led to believe that they've identified the core and know who the core is. Now all of a sudden maybe has that changed? And I, I can't help wondering, to your, to your point, you know, how many of these players now are just waiting for the shoe to drop? Like, are just waiting for something else to happen. And it's got to be a horrible feeling as an athlete, knowing that something's coming, knowing that you're powerless to affect it, but it's going to change your life um, probably forever. And maybe, you know, and, and maybe even if you stay, uh, it's still going to affect your life. So I, I kind of get the feeling, you know, it's probably not the best way to tee up a game tonight, but I, I get the feeling that that's kind of how the, the Ottawa Senators players are feeling. Uh, since we're doing grandmothers, it's my Nana's favorite guest, Jeff Merrick, on Aww. the line with us. Uh, you you kind of uh, helped us tee it up, uh, Merrick. Oilers in Vegas after the break. Oilers get to match yeah. the record or the modern record for wins in a row. Uh, do you expect these yeah. teams, like, uh, it'll be a full effort, we imagine, from the Oilers unless uh, the vacations were really, really fun. Uh, but do you think they're going to indulge us? Because it's it's a rare opportunity for a big stakes regular season game kick off the second half unofficially with something on the line between rivals do you think they're going to rise to the occasion and kind of kind of live up to what we expect it might be what do we know about Connor mcdavid we know that Connor mcdavid thrives on stuff like this what do we know about leon dreisaitl same thing but maybe most pronounced Connor mcdavid and you know you want to talk about you know like frustration um you know you look at Connor mcdavid every year when the oilers get eliminated and there's that frustration you know Connor mcdavid you know went through i mean i'm trying to think like the last time he won a championship for his club team not internationally because we've, we've seen that happen in the world championships but you know with um you know with uh, with the toronto marlboros they lost the ohl cup final to the mississauga rebels that would have been a team with uh, Robbie Fabry as the uh, the star on it. It was a two to one, thrilling two to one game at the Hershey Center. He went through his OHL career at the Erie Otters, did not win an OHL championship, did not go 
to the Memorial Cup, and we all know the story of the Edmonton Oilers with Connor McDavid, and it has been frustration after frustration. Every now and then, you know, the three of us joke about and wonder if Connor McDavid has upper teeth because we've never seen him. Like, hey, it's okay to smile. Um, he's like Edmonton's answer for Nathan McKinnon, you know, the uh, ultra-focused and serious. Like, he lives on moments like this. Uh, and the great thing about it is, Justin, when they come back from the break, the record-tying game, if they win it, is against the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. And there's exactly zero love lost between these teams. <laughs> that goes back to the playoffs. I expect it to be a high-paced, high-stakes game. I think everybody gets dialed in, both on the Edmonton side, the Vegas side as well. I think they under- all understand that everybody in hockey is going to be watching that game. And I think everybody wants to send a message, uh, certainly from the Vegas side, uh, and, of course, from the, the Edmonton side, they want to get to that Anaheim game and have that game mean something. I think I think both sides are completely dialed for that one. And and because they hate each other, I wouldn't be surprised if this one is more than a little bit dirty as well. Yeah, Oilers five points behind the Golden Knights with five games in hand. I don't know how that happened. Uh But they've got a big opportunity there (laughs) for a big game. Um, I want to ask you about the deadline. I know it's still a little while away, but it feels like it might be a dead deadline, just a bit quiet, um, not a lot of big names out there at this point. Obviously, there there can be a lot of change in terms of teams winning and teams losing. But why does it feel that way, if it does feel that way to you this time around? It does, but you know what? I'll be honest with you, it's kind of felt that way for the past couple of seasons Mm. as well. You know, Brian Brick would always make the point that the, uh, the two dates where managers, you know, overpay and get themselves in trouble. One is trade deadline, the other is July 1st. And they usually do it, and they usually do it with defensemen. Um, you know, right now, most teams try to do their business in advance of deadline. Um, you know, it, it's interesting, too. It's usually the, the weekend before deadline that is more active than the deadline itself. Like, there are always moves. Like, players still do get traded, but they're more, they're more depth trades than anything else. You know, bottom pairing defensemen, you know, uh, an extra center uh, for the for the playoff run. But, you know, teams generally try not to wait until the final moment because nobody wants to be, you know, wants to be, uh, you know, wants to be, uh, you know, uh, 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 hearing the music and then hearing it start to wind down and no one's and you don't have a chair. Um, I think everybody wants to make sure they have their chair. And, you know, I, I kind of think now that the NHL, you know, the way that general managers communicate with one another, I think teams set prices and uh, as long as there's not insane competition for it, you either hit that price or somebody else does, and then you move on. And, and generally, the last couple of seasons, it's been, you know, we're, if we're going to make a big move, we want to make it as early as possible in order to get, you know, that player into our system, on our team, you know, learning about, you know, how we do things, how we play, system play, all that kind of stuff. And they just don't want to wait you know, as, as deep as the trade deadline will go. So, again, I'm the worst hype man. I'm doing a poor job hyping tonight's game on Rogers Monday Night Hockey, Nashville and the Ottawa Senators. And I guess I'm not doing a great job promoting, promoting trade deadline either. Holy smokes, I'm the worst. Well, how about I get you a chance to promote NHL All-Star Weekend <laughs> uh, in Toronto this weekend? Uh, I don't know if you're taking up residency at the Ritz, ready to knock out a bunch of interviews for 32 Thoughts. Uh, yeah. But I'm sure there are a couple things you're real excited for, uh, and it might include, you know, general managers just getting together mm-hmm. uh, and plotting things for the for the deadline. But in terms of what we're going to see this weekend, what are you most excited for, and what sort of has uh, your attention as we uh, move into All Star Weekend? Skills. 
skills. I, I love this idea of sort of like trying to, to, to crown one champion. I had Steve Mayer on the show today. He's the NHL chief content officer. And, you know, part of this is, you know, th- th- this, this file is his. Um, and after what we saw last year in Florida, which I always applaud when you try to do things differently, I applaud that, that way of thinking. Uh, so I don't, I want to, I want to come up short of, you know, criticizing what we saw last year in Florida because I like the effort and I like the creativity. Um, but I really think this is a great idea, the way they're doing the skills. And instead of just doing this player has the hardest shot, this player is the fastest. And you have like a number of individual champions who are trying to figure out this way to create one champion out of all of it. Uh, which I love, and you know, there's a there's a you know a, a ego involved in this. There's a million dollars involved in this. Uh, I was joking with Steve Merritt today that you know I really hope they present like a pro wrestling style belt <laughs> or a trophy or something to whomever the champion is, because I think that could be you know an an annual neat little neat little thing uh, that the NHL does. But you know, it, it's interesting the way that. I don't know how you, you two do this, but whenever I try to figure out, you know, who is a better player, you know, Gordie Howe or Mark Messier or Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky, one of the things that I do is kind of do this little exercise that we're going to see at the skills. I say to myself, okay, let's take two teams, five Bobby Orrs and five Wayne Gretzkys, and think in my mind, okay, what are all the things that go into making a good hockey player? There's skating and shooting and passing and toughness and vision and all the things that we're going to see on display in the skills and then you drop the puck and you close your eyes and you imagine who would win that game based on the skill criteria. So this is how dumb I am. It wasn't until I saw this that I said to myself, yeah, this makes sense. This is how I've always tried to figure out who's a better hockey player than, than someone else. So that, that's the one thing that I'm, that I'm most looking forward to. Who at the end of all of this can lay claim to being at All-Star the best player in the NHL I know it's a very unscientific way to do it, but these are heavyweight names in this thing. Like it's Pasternak and McDavid and McKinnon and the two Hughes boys. Like mm-hmm. it's going to be good. Like it's going to be a lot of fun. So that's, that's the thing that I'm most looking forward to. You did a beautiful job at hyping it up, Merrick. I think uh, oh, you redeemed all you redeemed of it. Yourself. <laughs> uh, so thanks so much, before. Jeff. Like, what, what, what's all this pink paper in the fax machine for, boss? Why is my <laughs> name on this? <laughs> uh, well, it's a pleasure every week you get an opportunity to redeem yourself. We'll talk to you next Monday, Jeff, uh, and maybe we'll see you around the rink over the next couple of days. We will we'll bump into each other. Okay. Don't worry. Thanks, we'll Jeff. Enjoy. Uh, Jeff Merrick of the Jeff Merrick Show and 32 Thoughts, the podcast ahead of what's going to be an awesome game tonight. But you know what? Not every game has to be just like a skills galore, high stakes. Like this is this is like a team that needs some severe help. time. And like that's, you know, worth it itself to turn into. And an opportunity to change some of the stats I'm going to lay out for you. But we mentioned we've been talking a lot about the Oilers, obviously. Massive success since making the coaching change. Not so much. For the Ottawa Senators, who, of course, are getting a lot of attention for the first couple days this week. But before the change, 421 points percentage, fifth worst in the NHL. Since the switch, 423 win percentage, fifth worst in the NHL. Uh, No team since (laughs) December 18th when they made that change has given up more goals. Seventh worst in goals by rate before the switch. Total goaltending before the switch, fifth worst. Since then, the absolute worst. Uh, it's just like nothing really changed. Things got a little bit worse, mm. if, if anything. So uh, this team, uh, again, we talked about how, you know, did they didn't want to make this switch because were they convinced that something different was going to come mm. out of it? 
I think this is all the evidence that you need. Nothing really has come of it. And you could just look at the goaltender. A lot of people like making just the goaltender excuse, but I don't really think that's applicable. If yeah. structure is going to change things uh, with a new coach, that's what you're banking on. Like some, you're playing better hockey. You're playing hockey a different way. You're playing hockey more efficiently. Uh, I just don't think you could say that about the Ottawa Senators. I don't think you can blame everything on goaltending when clearly that is the primary issue. Yeah, they were hoping for what happened with Chris Knobloch and the Oilers, and they got probably the opposite or just no impact whatsoever, mm-hmm. uh, which is difficult. And uh, as I said, Sens bottom of the division uh, looking to to right the ship a little bit here um, as they are the lone spotlight game tonight on Monday Night Hockey, Nashville in Ottawa, 7 p.m. That'll be on after us. Uh, we will take a quick break because on the other side, Arash Daniel will join us. He was in Baltimore for Ravens and Chiefs. We've got our Super Bowl matchup. We've got our storylines. We'll go through them all with Arash Daniel and some best bets after that. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just back up here, Brock. Take one or two steps back. Back up. Go down. It's over. The Niners are going to Vegas. This game is over. And you can doubt the Chiefs. You can dislike the Chiefs. You can disrespect the Chiefs. You're going to have to deal with the Chiefs being the AFC champions for the fourth time in five seasons. Yep, never doubt those Chiefs. Uh, they will be in the Super Bowl once again. We're going to be joined by Arash Madani in a few minutes on the fan pregame here on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590. The fan. Uh, Ravens, Chiefs atmosphere. I think that would probably have been, I don't know, which, what do you think place, which place had the best vibe yesterday? I don't know. The vibe was killed pretty quickly. I mean, we can corroborate this with, with Arash when he jumps on with us, but it, it was like a track meet for 10 minutes that yeah. game. Like it was just like, oh, everyone, all these pre-scripted drives are going pretty well. <laughs> Who's going to make an adjustment? Well, the defense is because like nothing happened on the back half of that game mm-hmm. and immensely frustrating, immensely frustrating it would have been to watch the number one seed, the MVP of yeah. the league, presumably, in Lamar Jackson, uh, struggle the way they did. To hold the Chiefs to nothing. They did nothing in the second half. And to not win that game is uh, unfathomable almost. I I think the atmosphere would have been pretty muted there. And by the end of the game in San Francisco, it was uh, rowdy. Super Bowl in Las Vegas in about two weeks. Chiefs being the dogs. After everything that they've gone through, you can doubt the Chiefs, but you'll never count them out or whatever that call was. Just feels like it's going to be the Chiefs at the end for me at this point, like my early prediction. Just watching them over the last couple of weeks, I've seen this unlocked level that we kind of thought we didn't see for a bit. There's a lull in the season. Thought, okay, they don't have any receivers that can do anything. Travis Kelsey looks old. Patrick Mahomes can't just do it himself. But they've found that level, and it feels almost inevitable at this point that we'll see that again. Yeah, to me, it's like, who are the smartest people in the room? Uh, the people them. that go every time seem to be the smartest people yep. in the room, more adaptable, more versatile, win in more ways, figuring out to be how to be one step ahead. It's Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Steve Spagnola doing that over and over and over again. So for that reason, yeah, I- I'm not surprised that money's coming in on the Chiefs and I'm right there with you. I, I don't think I'm going to change my mind over two <laughs> weeks so far, but to this point... Uh, uh, I'm 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 thinking Chiefs. Well, he saw him up close and personal uh, last night. Arash Madani joins us from, uh, I guess you're back home now. You were in Baltimore for Ravens Chiefs. Seemed like a pretty awesome vibe. It was terrific. <laughs> um, I'll be honest, guys. I 
I wasn't quite sure what to expect because Kansas City fans travel so well. <laughs> but when the Ravens scored that first touchdown on the on the deep throw to, to Zay Flowers, that place went nuts. <laughs> I'm like, here we go. And then that felt like pretty much the only offense we saw the rest of the night both ways, didn't it? It it definitely did. Um, we were just before we get into, I guess, last night for you and, and co- across contam- across comparing them. Is it Chiefs now? Like, did you see something special that we hadn't seen, or we counted them out? Like, we played the audio coming in, but well, you can count us out. You can like they had that underdog mentality. Does it feel like things are clicking at the right time? That are peaking at the right moment for this Chiefs team to do it again in a couple weeks? I don't know. I mean, they got <laughs> shut out in the second half last night. They still found you a know? way. Yeah, um, I, I I I thought a lot about both games, and to me, as as impressive as Kansas City's defensive performance was, and it was mm-hmm. clogging down passing lanes, uh, just how aggressive the corners were on on Baltimore's receivers at the line of scrimmage, going into match coverage, and then bringing you know a lot of different pressure packs later in the game. To me that game was an indictment on Baltimore's coaching. Mm. I mean, here you have the leading rushing team in the NFL. Here you have a three running back system, effectively. No team in the NFL has carried the football more than the Ravens. And those running backs had six combined carries on the night. Six. They they became one-dimensional early, which then allowed Steve Spagnuolo to just start bringing pressure and, you know, having Lamar drop back 82% of the time. Um, look, we, we can get into the Super Bowl. We have two weeks to talk about mm-hmm. it. But, but to me, last night, as impressive as Kansas City was defensively, as lethal as Mahomes and Kelsey were together, I, I still wonder how the Ravens go back and look at that tape and say to themselves, what were we doing? It's funny. uh, If you felt good about your coaching staff, your coordinators, whatever (laughs) it is, uh, you you felt maybe that way until you play the Kansas City Chiefs. They make you feel differently about your coaching staff, I suppose, because the same uh, comments were coming out of the Bills victory, right? Like you're you're not sure about Sean McDermott. And to be fair, people were way more bullish on on uh, Moncton and Harbaugh and everything that the Baltimore Ravens were doing compared to what the Bills were doing. But the point stands. It seems like Reed and Spagnolo, and I guess by extension Patrick Mahomes, are one step ahead. I mean, you know, we we could do the Mahomes thing all time for sure. Andy Reid, an all timer. You talked to Steve Spagnola after the game. He created at least some of the confusion offensively for the Ravens. Is he an all-timer as well? As a defensive coach, absolutely. Um, there's an argument to be made that he might be number two behind Belichick as a defensive mind. I mean, think about the the defensive game plan they put together last night. Priority one, clog up rushing lanes. They did not want to allow Lamar Jackson to be them with his legs and by doing so and by having a relatively no-name secondary be so physical off the line Lamar just wasn't able to get into any kind of rhythm he was off for a lot of the night and then and then just as Baltimore was getting going guys Zay Flowers zigging and zagging towards the goal line there comes LJ Sneed who pops it out of the goal line and that was the dagger 
That was the moment that absolutely changed the game because, again, Casey got shut out in the second half. You get into the end zone there, it's a three-point game, it's game on. Uh, instead, you know, I've heard and followed so much of what's gone on today, I feel one of the least talked about things is that the turnover margin was plus three Kansas City. Baltimore coughed up the ball three times, KC zero. Hmm. And that in a lot of ways too is why it's 1587 and uh, the cheeseburger man going to uh, going to Vegas to play for a Super Bowl. All right, uh, Travis Kelsey, let's go to that then. Um, he's had some really great highlight moments on and off the field this season. How has he turned it around over the last couple of weeks uh, to get himself back into the conversation? Because we are saying he was old and he was distracted by Taylor Swift, but once again, he's going to be there in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I just, I just have never bought into any of those narratives. <laughs> I, I just don't know, you know, in a, at a position that's that's evolved so much in the last 10, 15 years, is there a more explosive and dynamic tight end in the game than Kelsey? It's interesting because his counterpart in the Super Bowl, George Kittle, is probably a better blocker. But you want to talk about a go up and get him, go up and get the football guy, there's nobody better than Kelsey. And right away, Ailish, what did they do? Fourth and two, opening series, it's Kelsey. You need to get in the end zone, it's Kelsey. Mahomes completes his first 11 balls, the majority go to Kelsey. And then Big 87 has 11 catches at the end of the night. You know, it it was interesting. Like, we got there pretty early. And Kelsey was setting the tone through their warm-up. Kelsey was the one giving the team energy. And Mahomes afterwards said that was the case all week in practice. Remember, Travis, after they clinched the division, told Andy Reid, hey, let me sit out. Even though he could have been a 1,000-yard receiver playing a meaningless game, he said, let me get my body right for the playoffs. There's a lot of miles and a lot of hits that 87 has taken over the years. That's what happens when you get to four Super Bowls in five years. But he now is the all-time leader in NFL playoff catches. He's, I mean, ahead of Jerry Rice. I, I don't know how else you can capture greatness <laughs> in January and February than that stat right there. Yeah, if we're talking about the intelligence of the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, saving Travis Kelsey, if you need to mm-hmm. save him at all for the biggest moments. I mean, he was the most important player on, on the field, it seemed like, uh, in big moments, at least offensively, uh, for the Chiefs yesterday. Uh, it, it's not every championship series or game that we get the opportunity for real legacy stakes, but I think we have it here with the Kansas City Chiefs for sure. Uh, with a win, can anything, even a loss, can anything be said definitely, definitively, excuse me, about this group, about this quarterback, about this coach, about this tight end? Like, what's at stake here from a legacy standpoint for you for Kansas City? They're right there with the Steelers of the 70s, the Niners of the 80s, the Cowboys of the 90s, um, not quite the Patriots, um, but they're right there. Mm. And it's it's the trio. It's the trio of Bradshaw, Stallworth, Swan, for those of a certain vintage. It's Montana, Rice, and Walsh. It's the triplets with the Cowboys. It's probably Brady, Gronk, and Belichick. That was the, kind of their heyday. Um, and now this. I mean, dynasty-worthy. They'll be the team of the decade. 
the team of the 20s. To do this, get to four and five, and to come out with three rings in that span, Mahomes, this is what's wild, guys, in his first six seasons, is ahead of Brady significantly in almost every single stat that matters, every single playoff record that matters. It feels like they've been around for a long time. They haven't. And that's what's wild about this. Patrick Mahomes, in a lot of ways, is just getting started in his career. We're chatting with the Rashman Danny, who was in Baltimore for Ravens Chiefs. Uh, so you weren't able to see Dan Campbell up close and personal in terms of the decision making or lack of decision making that happened with the the poor Lions, uh, which was a bit devastating for anyone, even if you were a Lions fan, to watch that one unfold. Um, now having an opportunity to look through it, and I'm sure you got to watch it somewhat after live or, or however you did consume it. Where do you stand on, I guess, the decision making discussion that we're having about Dan Campbell and that Lions team yesterday? Um, I, I don't know when along the way we became a scapegoat culture. Uh, maybe it was Steve Bartman. Maybe it was Bill Buckner. Um, maybe it was Scott Norwood. But it feels like we're trying to point the finger at one thing. Mm. How many people are talking about Josh Reynolds dropping the ball twice? How many people are talking about a corner having the ball bounce off his face and his hands Mm -hmm. into the arms of Brandon Ayuk while you're leading by two touchdowns, which then eventually makes it a one, one score game because of that. I had no problem with Campbell going for it the first time around. Mm -hmm. I know that would put him up three scores, but that's Detroit's DNA. Like guys, I'm, I'm a Vikings fan. I follow the NFC North. This, this is who they are. Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Day against Green Bay, boneheaded decision inside his own 35-yard line, a fake punt on fourth and a million. That's Dan Campbell. That's who they are. I didn't understand the second decision to to not kick the field goal to try and tie the game. But I, I just looked at that entire thing, and I'm saying you you get outscored 27-0 in the second half, and you're pointing at a fourth-down decision? As the reason you lost the football game, um, let me count the ways. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that that's where I stand on this thing. Just like everybody wanted to point the finger at Lamar, everybody wants to point the finger at Dan Campbell. You look at those two football games and come on now. Yeah, it was kind of the opposite, in, at least in terms of the two instances. Uh, I, I I thought it was crazy that they didn't kick the field goal to go up 17, kind of open the door or leave the door open by not doing it. But by the second one, it's like, well, that's what you've been doing. And mm-hmm. if you're going to keep doing it and you're going to keep playing percentages, I guess you probably should convert one of the fourth and twos that you're trying out there in a football game after you did it to such success all season long. So for that reason, I, I was a little surprised that you didn't bend when it felt like the time to bend. But for him to just change and go the complete opposite way when the same thing presented itself, uh, I, I wasn't really surprised uh, that he did go for it. Uh, Brock Purdy. I don't know where you stood on Brock Purdy going into that game. I don't know if anything changed for you when it came to Brock Purdy's performance yesterday. But do you consider him, because he's in the he's in the game, capable of winning this game against Patrick Mahomes in a head-to-head? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you got Depot, you got Ayuk, you got Kittle, you got CMC. Um, yeah, I think Brock Purdy can win you the game when you have weapons uh, like that on your offense. 
Here's the one thing about San Francisco, guys. When's the last time they played a clean, solid four quarters of football? And look, they're in the Super Bowl. Bless them. Mm -hmm. It's been Um, a bit, though. It's been a bit. Uh, Their defense on third down has been an adventure. They're not getting to the quarterback the way they were the first, I don't know, 12, 15 weeks of the season. And at the same time, Kansas City, they felt so vulnerable. They felt so there for the taking. I thought Buffalo was going to beat them. I thought Baltimore was going to beat them. And now and now here these two teams are. Um, the one thing about, well, the multiple things about Purdy, but among the things is that I have faith in Kyle Shanahan to get Purdy out of a mess. Because against Green Bay, that that felt like he was in quicksand. It was a wet ball. He couldn't get into a rhythm. Nothing was going on. Shanahan actually got him under center, dropping back, making short little throws just to try and get the heart rate down a little bit. I'm interested to see what Spagnuolo has in, has in store for Purdy. But the reason why I think Brock Purdy is going to have success in the Super Bowl is, one, his demeanor. He's a pretty poised kid. The other is... The NFL, the NFC MVP is right there with him. And when you have Christian McCaffrey, that just changes the entire complexion and dynamic of your offense. So it is a rematch four years ago. Same coaches, uh, not same quarterbacks. However, if we're looking at how that experience might shape this game, like I I know it comes to the benefit of Andy Reid, Steve Spagnuolo, Patrick Mahomes. Like they're going to be able to use that information to help them form a game plan, something they might need in order to win because there might be a talent discrepancy here. But Kyle Shanahan has some ghosts, right? Has some demons in the old playoff closet. Do you think that hurts him or helps him that he's mm. seen Andy Reid before, but it's only version one of Andy Reid and Steve Spagnolo in a Super Bowl between these two teams? Well, I think the ultimate ghost of all is Bill Belichick. Here's the offensive coordinator in Atlanta up 28 to three. Um, there, there's the ghost. I have on my phone a script from that night standing in the tunnel waiting to get on the field in Miami about how Robert Sala's San Francisco defense was right up there with the Seahawks beating Denver and the 85 Bears. And then in like four minutes, <laughs> Patrick Mahomes changed everything. Um, and Jimmy had Emmanuel Sanders. Jimmy G had Emmanuel Sanders wide open down the middle and dismissed him. Um, I think the ghosts are extinguished for Kyle Shanahan. Um, they lost to a really good Kansas City team that had Tyreek Hill, had Mahomes on a rookie deal, had a younger, more dynamic, more explosive Kansas City team. Um, I just, to me, this game comes down, you know, at first blush to a couple of things. One, what Spag's got in store for Purdy. Two, will San Francisco be able to get pressure on the quarterback without blitzing? And if they can then it is an altogether different football game. But um, it's hard to know what to make make of both of these teams because, honestly, um, you just haven't seen them play at a really high level for a long time. 
So what's in store? It's, it's just really hard to know. Who's going to play their best? And what is their best at this at this point of the season? Um, I think those are real question marks because we just haven't seen it from either team. Okay, so you said the word script, Arash, and I got to ask you what the script writer room is cooking up for the Super Bowl. You've got all the Taylor Swift narrative. She's going to fly back from Tokyo. You add all the numbers together. Everything equals 13. Maybe Travis Kelsey proposes. You can actually bet on this right now. It's pretty crazy, but this has been a season with lots of interesting scripts and storylines. What are you most encouraged by when you look at the Super Bowl script that could be being written? Ailish, if this thing was scripted, why is Usher the halftime performer? Well, That's maybe what Taylor like Swift, she comes out oh. and she goes, just kidding, I'm actually here. Uh, and they do something uh, together. Man. <laughs> What's in the script? I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, they, they, I, I can't get the password protected. Uh, oh. well, when you do get it, you let us yeah. know. <laughs> right. Um. Here's what I do think. I think that if San Francisco wins, the Super Bowl MVP will be Debo Samuel or Christian McCaffrey. And I think that if Kansas City wins, the Super Bowl MVP will be Chris Jones. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Getting the futures bets ready. (laughs) Think back a few years ago. Remember when Denver beat Carolina in Santa Clara? It was the Von Miller performance. If Kansas City is going to have on defense has to disrupt, and there's nobody in Casey's front seven that comes close to being able to be a wrecking crew the way 95 is. You know, last year they get by Cincinnati because of 95 and 55, and Frank Clark's gone now. Um, to me, this is about 95. If 95 can can wreck havoc that's going to be the X factor in creating turnovers. And as we found out last night, plus three in the turnover ratio, um, that's going to be what it's going to take to win you a football game. Well, you're lucky our next segment is a quick best bets. And so I'm pulling these up, uh, a rash's future bets. And okay. maybe, maybe this we can replay this down the road as the script that you told on our show, okay? Well, I'm trying to script the Debo thing because before leaving for Baltimore, I got Debo at 50 to 1 to win Super Bowl MVP. Okay, so... Well, manifest, okay? Right. <laughs> I also had Dalvin doing. Cook at 250 to oh. 1. And Dalvin, I don't think, got on the field for a snap yesterday That's in tough. Baltimore. Lost, so. That's tough. That's tough. Well, there's still hope for you. Uh, we appreciate Great. it, Arasha. Uh, thanks so much. And enjoy uh, what's going to be the next couple weeks of storylines. Then you'll get to be at the big dance. So that'll be uh, it'll be awesome. We'll, we'll definitely chat with you before or after that. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks so much. Arash Madani. Of course, of Sportsnet, uh, we'll be covering this NFL journey to the end. Okay, I'm pulling up the odds because those are some good ones. Those are some good ones. I, I like. I, I think to his point, this is maybe the most obvious non-quarterback MVP mm-hmm. discussion that you could have because if you look at Patrick Mahomes' numbers over the course of a three-game winning streak here in the playoffs, not all that impressive. Like mm-hmm. it's not just on the shoulders of maybe the best quarterback that's ever played the game. He's also already won two. And if we know anything about Pick someone else, yeah, yeah. If we know anything about voters, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, is there something shiny we can latch onto that's a little bit different? That also goes into it. So I think fading Mahomes is interesting. I actually think buying Purdy is interesting because he's not looked at like most quarterbacks, where it's like, yeah, there's so many other things you could go to. However, we're both on the Chiefs. I'm not on Chris Jones, although I might consider it based on the. 
the uh, case that Arash made. I'm buying into the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift. It's already been placed. Big time. I'm already in on it. I've been on it for a couple weeks. But 20 to 1, Travis Kelsey. His importance to that offense in this moment was illustrated perfectly in that win over the Ravens. He is the most trusted guy. Yeah, they made a nice play to Valdez Scantling, and that won them the game. That is a one-off. Kelsey is the guy that they Mm -hmm. need to go to. Kelsey is the guy who could potentially win them this game, and he has Hall of Fame creds. They will want to add to the creds. It's perfect. So Travis Kelsey, 20 to 1, is my MVP choice. That is exactly the perfect bet. Thank you. Because you know... high praise from you. You know my narratives. I just laid it out. This This is... and it's more screen time for the person driving ratings, is which it. is the girlfriend of Travis Kelsey. it. Okay, and the other thing I'll give you, because we only have a minute left, uh, Chiefs just to win, uh, as plus money still. So. Save that one. I'm just saying, you know, right now it's plus money. I okay. think it will move to not the case. So uh, I like the Kelsey MVP. I like Chiefs Super Bowl champs. Um, my best bet for tonight is a little parlay with what is a big game. OKC uh, has the opportunity uh, to... Grab the Western Conference or keep it up. Um, keep up the Western top seed, Conference. right? Yeah, yeah, against the Timberwolves tonight. Both teams, same record, playing for top seed. I'm going to have Shea have a great night tonight. Over 34 and a half points and OKC to win. You can parlay that for plus 250. It's a very big game tonight. Uh, I like the Clippers. Uh, the Clippers went into Boston and absolutely steamrolled the Celtics. Uh, they did that the night before mm-hmm. uh, or the night after they beat the Raptors. I mean, the Clippers are just on a roll. I'm taking them when it's around to pick them every single time. I'm riding the Clippers right now. Clippers might win the Western Conference based on, you know, the result that you get in your game. Clippers all the way. The Chris Jones bet is 130 to 1, by the way. A rash's future bet. That'll I mean, for pay a, for off a rash, some, it might bets. be a couple shekels for me. That one will pay off some, uh, some loans, some credit card debt. Just play responsibly. But yeah, no, I'm all over... Mr. Travis Kelsey. All right. That was our Monday night show. We'll see you all tomorrow. Have a great night.